0: And 47 and it's Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Okay. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.
1: I am Elliot. I have five people in my family. I'm six and I go to school. God loves me and when I pray to God, he likes it because he likes me talking to him. It was my first day of school and I was a bit scared because I didn't have any friends and my other friend, my best friend, wasn't coming yet. My dad prayed for me and they and he said, God, we come to you today and help Elliot try and find a friend. When my dad said the prayer, the words walked up in the wind, up to heaven, to God. These blue dots are the angels, and this is God in his chair. This is Elliot. have a prayer for you to say if you're shocked, scared, or worried just like I was on my first day of school. Um, shall I pray now? Circle me, Lord. Keep comfort me. And discouragement. Afar Keep peace woven, And tomorrow out Amen
2: Well good morning. good morning How good's Elliot's prayer It's good isn't it It's a great little prayer Circle me, Lord. Keep comfort near, discouragement afar. Keep peace within and turmoil out. Amen. You know, it's no wonder that Jesus encouraged us to become like little children, is it? They pray so honestly and so well. Let's pray now as we come to look at God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our oh, Father in heaven, Lord, we, we do stop to look at your word this morning. And, Lord, as we come to do that, I, I just want to acknowledge your presence here within us, around us. And that, Lord, you, you might give us understanding this morning. That you'll speak not only to, to our heads, but to our hearts, so that together we might be encouraged and challenged by your word. But for myself, I pray that my words might be pleasing to you, in accordance to your will. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, my name's uh, Ian. As, as you've heard, my role actually is, is to move around uh, our churches of New South Wales and the ACT. I've been down in Pamela recently. Uh, one, of, actually, one of my boys from Boys Brigade that I discipled up was pastor there, so I inducted him. And I uh, reminded the church there that, that, that Bronson, I think was he actually at Asmont, is not the saviour. They were excited to have a pastor, but you know, some churches set their pastors up for a fall by thinking that they would solve every problem. But that's not the job of the pastor. David, you're not the saviour here. Um, there's one saviour. Uh, so that was real, real fun. Uh, up to Mwollombar and all places, and, and now at Wagga, and out at west just recently, so I, I get around. Um, and as I move around churches uh, you know, I get to see all, all sorts of things on the, all spectrums and all sizes and all shapes and, um, and and I'm convinced that one of the things our churches need the most and people ask me, Ian what, what do you think churches need the most and um, I've got to say I think it's, it's prayer I think many of our churches actually are, are pretty confident that prayer is a high value here but as, as I work with some churches I have to say that uh, that prayer is missing. And that prayer is one of the key things uh, that we all need to do, as both as followers of Jesus uh, and as communities of faith as we come together. And our prayer has been a big part of our life, my life with Carolyn and I. And in fact, she's given up her full-time job to pursue prayer and to help churches pursue prayer. So a little plug for my own wife, Let's Talk Prayer. You can google.com, but she goes around and helps and speaks at women's things and they're studying at Morling. And, um, but we feel that prayer uh, is an important need. And kind of Paul talks about that's the theme of our patches this morning from Ephesians. Um, and Paul's writing uh, near the end uh, of his life, we think, uh, around 62 AD. He's in prison and he writes to this church in Ephesus uh, because of his great love for them. And as we read this letter, we know and we study that Paul also mentions not just, uh, just for the Ephesians, but for God's people everywhere, uh, in all generations and throughout all ages. And he's focused on, and he talks about uh, slaves and, and, um, and, their, and their masters, husbands and wives, women and children. And he, it's, it's a letter for everybody. And I'd encourage you to be people who read it. Uh, one commentator said that the epistle to the Ephesians ought to be a tre- treasure trove to which we go repeatedly any time we feel discouraged, any time we feel doubt or uncertain or unsure how to live in this world. So I encourage you to not just look at the first chapter, I think Steve's going to talk from chapter 2 tonight as he comes, Steve Bartlett, and we didn't talk about that at all, Uh, we only started talking in the car because we've been travelling everywhere and maybe God is doing something new and wanting to share with you some some things from Ephesians. When I think about prayer I'm always uh, reminded of some great words I read in in a book uh, by Andrew Murray, Uh, it's called With Christ in the School of Prayer, I began reading Andrew Murray's Books uh, when I was in college as a student with no money because they were free. Um, and you can Google Andrew Murray. He, he's, he wrote um, at the end of the 19th and the turn of the 20th century. And, um, but his book, I commend to you, With Christ in the School of Prayer. You can download it as a PDF free off the internet. But he, he says this in uh, the opening of his book. Lord, teach us to pray. Yes, to pray. This is what we need to be taught Though in its beginnings, prayer is so simple that the feeblest child can pray. Yet it is at the same time the highest and the holiest work to which women and men can arise. It is fellowship with the unseen and the most holy one. The powers, and I like this bit, the powers of the eternal world have been placed at its disposal. It is the very essence of true religion, the channel of all blessing, the secret of power and of life. Not only for ourselves, but for others and for the church and for the world. It is is to prayer that God has given the right to take hold of him and his strength. Great words, aren't they? It's on prayer that the promises wait for their fulfillment. The kingdom for its coming. The glory of God for its full revelation. And then he says, and for this blessed work, how unfit. And slothful we are. I speak to my heart every time I remind myself of those words how unfit and slothful we are. I think for many of our churches and even followers of Jesus as I move around the world, prayer has become something tacked on. We do it when we need it, when we're in trouble, or we want God to fix something. I still have a lot to learn about prayer. And I'm I'm sure you do as well. Um, Some people think they know it all. We went to a church and did a seminar and a lady in the church began by saying, because she thought we were quite young, so we are pleased about that bit, but I've been praying for nearly 80 years and there's nothing you can teach me about prayer. Um, We said, okay, maybe you should run this seminar. Uh, And then halfway through, we saw her face change. God showed up and she said, I'm sorry. I've learnt so much. And uh, that's what God does. We've got to be on this journey. No doubt you pray. Research tells us that sometime at some place, everyone prays at some point in their life. Even the atheist prays um, at some time. And Paul's talking about that, or running along. Um, so, what do you pray for when you pray? Max Lucado, if you know Max Lucado, another great author, uh, another one of my authors, he did a survey on his website, millions and millions of people visit his website every day, and, uh, and so he took this survey, what people, what do you pray for? And the, the top list was all the things we might think for. People prayed for, you know, God, uh, for healing. That was high on their list. Uh, for God to meet their needs. For God for their relationships. For their children. Uh, all the things that probably you have prayed for and maybe do pray for. But it was the second half of the list that got my interest. And remember, these are followers of Jesus, I assume. Or at least people have some God knowledge. Uh, there. That's why they're there. So we can say these are not people who don't believe in prayer, but people who kind of believe in prayer. Uh, and so uh, 21% of them said they, they pray to win the lottery. But I don't know about you, but whether you pray or that, that's not a good prayer, but 21% of people pray to win, win the lottery. Um, 20% of people pray for success in something they put no effort into. Uh, I would pray this all the time when I was at school. I not, was not great at school. Actually, I was quite a little bit troubled. I was very uh, entrepreneurial at school. I would sell things that you're probably not allowed to sell, I uh, make a bit of cash on the side, um, and I didn't turn up to class. I was, I, I, my journey is being adopted, and I was really struggled with that. I might share more about that a, a little bit later. Um, and so I would come to a math exam or an English exam and say, Lord, you've got to help me pass this one because I have no idea. Um, I can tell you it doesn't answer that prayer. Uh, 14, we said, for God to avenge someone who hurt you. Now, actually, we see a bit of this in scripture. If you read the wisdom literature or, or psalms, uh, that, you know, the psalmist is praying that out of a, a broken heart or, or for struggle, for God to you know, strike down those dogs, avenge those who have hurt me. But I think the people here are kind of praying it with the right kind of heart when they pray for others. Now, I do do this... Um, for their sports team to win and my prayers were obviously stronger than others this week and Penrith won in Golden Point Um, so that's okay for bad things to happen to bad people we can kind of get that particularly if you've been hurt really badly again there's a sense of that now I I do do this quite a bit and I find that God answers my prayer quite regularly Um, I get a park I get a park even when there aren't any um my wife thinks you've just got to pray a gift. She never gets a park. And I say, well, you don't pray. That's obvious. <laughs> and I'm not too sure what's going on with this one. 5% of people, for someone's relationships to end. I would like to think that people are saying that the person they love is in such a bad and destructive and abusive relationship. Lord, you've got to free them from that. But I suspect that it's people saying, well, can you end that relationship so that I can be in a relationship with that person? And you know, that's not good. What do you pray for? When you pray. If we look, go back again to Paul's words here in Ephesians, have a quick look at that. And what is Paul praying for? What is Paul praying for? He's not praying for any of those things, is he? He's not praying for anyone to win the lottery. He's not praying um, you know, for exams to pass. It's actually, he's not praying for himself at all, is the, the big thing. Actually, Paul is actually praying for others. And so a far more important question, I think, for us this morning, and it's important that we pray. Jesus encourages us to bring out our concerns to him. I am, you know, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest, says Jesus. It's all right to take your concerns to him, to pray for, uh, for jobs, for healing, and we've done that, and I'll share a bit about that as we go along. But it's also important to pray for others and not just for ourselves. I think the problem comes when we're so consumed with our own needs and our own desires, our own wants, that we forget about the world around us. And so here I think Paul is reminding us to be people who also pray for those around us. And this is what Paul does. He now prays for others. He's praying particularly uh, for Christians, and not just at Ephesus, but uh, he says for people everywhere. And I think even through the, down through the lens of, uh, of history, he's praying for you and I. He's praying for others. I like what one commentator said about Paul's prayer here in, in Ephesians and the motivations for them. He says, what drove Paul to pray here is not a problem. Instead, what drove him to pray was, the, was his vision of the greatness of God, which has been revealed in Jesus. We are driven to pray because we are overwhelmed. Uh, we have an overwhelming desire for God to fix our problems. I think for we're really honest, that's why we often pray. But Paul is driven to pray because he is overwhelmed by the glory of God revealed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We are so often driven to pray because of our overwhelming problem or need. And that, that's okay. But Paul here is... Pr- He's driven to pray because he is overwhelmed by the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. When was the last time uh, you were overwhelmed by the greatness and glory of Christ and, and, and turned to prayer because of it? What motivates you to pray is one of my questions this morning. And what are you praying for? And more importantly, who? Who are you praying for? I mean, I can't begin to tell you just how much prayer has been a part of our life on our journey together, my wife and I, Carolyn, and, uh, and what we've seen. God does, and Paul will go on to say that, more than we could ask or imagine. What's happening is one of the questions that I move around churches. I say, you know, churches say, yeah, we believe in prayer. It's one of our values. We put it up on the wall. See, it's up there. It says, we value prayer. I say, well, well tell me about that. How has that worked out for you? What's happening That cannot be described except by the direct working of God. Because God answers prayer in real ways. What's happening in your life that cannot be explained except by the direct working of God? Who are you praying for? Tim Tim Keller in his recent book on prayer, uh, it's titled Simply Prayer, so it's easy to find. I commend that to you as well. says that it is remarkable. It is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends uh, never contain any appeals for changes in their circumstances. I have to go and, and check that out. I've actually downloaded, i got a PDF on my iPad here of all the things that prayed, Paul prayed for. And yeah, it's true, not once does Paul pray for the circumstances of anybody to change. And I think that's remarkable, considering what we actually know about Paul. One, he's in prison here in Rome, uh, chained to guards. Um, He doesn't pray to be free from that. We know that that in that first century, there was enormous persecution of the church. Um, It's probably before the temple is destroyed and it gets really, really crazy. But Christians were already being persecuted and, and burned alive and all sorts of terrible things that continue to happen to Christians today in this world. And Paul does not pray for their circumstances to change. And I think that's startling. Instead, Paul prays four things and he outlines them for us here. And so I want to give you those things that you might start praying for others uh, this morning. And Paul's praying these uh, for you. And I'm going to pray these things for you as we finish today as well. And I encourage you to start praying these for others. Paul says firstly in, verses, uh, in verse 17, I keep asking... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So you might know him better. So you might know him, know God better. Are there any Seinfeld fans here? Just a quick survey. Not that many. We can have a chat a bit later about about that. Because that won't make any sense to you. But I just thought yada yada is the... That might mean something to you? Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Uh, that's the, the Hebrew word for know, is yada. It means to know. Uh, uh, the Greek means to know, not just to know about. Because we know about everyone and everything today. We know all about the Royals, all about our favourite music bands, all about our favourite TV stars or movie stars. We can know anything with the power of the internet and social yeah. media. And, and I have a thousand, over a thousand friends on Facebook, and I don't, I don't know them all. Um, if you want to follow me on Facebook, that'd be um, I'd accept you as a friend. I just want to have more friends than my daughter. She's 23. And uh, I just want to be hip and, you know, with it. But I don't know everybody. And as Paul talks about knowing God, he's talking about a deep, intimate knowledge of God because this is where it all starts. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. Do you know? God and more importantly does God know you because on the day of judgment when we all stand before uh, that throne of judgment uh, one of two things will be said to me welcome my daughter welcome my son welcome into my home or God will say God I don't know you I don't know you uh, away from me that's, that's it You either know God or or, or you don't. When I was 17, uh, left school early. The principal thought it was a good idea if I left. I actually got a job for State Rail uh, at 16. started right at the beginning of year 10. I hadn't been good up to that point. My mother was very concerned that I might not get the school certificate. So we had this meeting uh, with the principal, and he said, Altman, because that's all he called me, Altman, um, let me encourage you to take this job. And if you take this job, you'll get... I 'll guarantee the school certificate uh, if you don't take the job, uh, I really don't think you're going to get it. So and I think it'd be good for you and for the school <laughs> if you were to take this job so So that was kind of my life, and at seventeen, working for a little bit,'m on this church camp, you know, with my packet of ciggies in my pants and you know, the tough guy at the back of the room. I thought I was in a Christian home, but not living as a Christian, obviously. And the speaker there, Kel Willis, began to talk about Jesus, and I knew it all. 17, you know it all. And he challenged me with this kind of thing. Do you, do you know God really? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? And I began to answer these questions in my head, and he would say, you know, it's not enough to say I think so. I would say, yeah, I think so. I think I know God. Sure. And he would repeat, everything I was saying word for word and after a while it got my attention and I, wrote, I don't actually know God and I'm not really sure and he said if you want to be sure you can make that decision today and so I did it was January 1995 and I made a full on commitment to be real for God and it began a journey that changed my life I can say I know God I've got still a lot of work to do and I'm still on this journey and I know that God knows me do you know God? And Paul wants us to know, uh, he's praying that we might know God better and better. And um, math was not one of the things I was good at, and so I, it's one of the prayers I prayed, it didn't, didn't work. So I was 17, I'm 51, I'm going to turn 52 this year, so whatever that is, uh, I'm still on a journey. But I can say after all those years, I know God better than I did back then. And I hope and pray that I might know God a little bit better tomorrow and next week, and... and um, my kids are telling me that I'm not far off 60 now, Dad. So That's why we've kicked them out with kids free. They no longer live with us. Do you know God? And Paul is praying this, that we might know God better and better, for that's where it all starts. And that's a good thing to pray for. That's a good thing to pray for yourself. God, help me to know you better. And it's a fantastic thing for you to pray for others, even if they don't know God yet to pray and then never give up and, and not to cease praying, that people might come to know him more and more. Uh, parents, to be praying this for your kids, we pray this for our children. Uh, children, if you're here, to pray this for your parents. There's no better parent than one that, that lives out of the love of God. Churches, you need to pray this for your pastor, and pastors, I encourage you, you need to pray this for your people. Pray that you might know God better, deep, intimately, personally, relationally, better tomorrow than you do today. Can you say that? Do you know God better than you did last this time last year or this time five years ago or ten years ago? Paul prays we might know God better. Secondly, he prays that we might know the hope of our calling. We might know the hope of our, of our calling. I pray, Paul says in verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you, that in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you. God has called us to new life. He has moved us. If we're in Christ, if you can say without doubt, yes, I know God. And if you can't say that this morning, I'd love to talk to you or Andrew can talk to you and you can be sure. And do you know what you have in Christ? The hope of our calling. That your future and my future is now assured. Nothing, not one thing uh, can take that away. Paul will say in Romans that nothing on heaven or on earth or under the earth can separate us from the love that has been revealed in Christ Jesus, from the life that we have in Christ and where we're headed. Nothing. If you're in Christ, you have it. It's yours. It will be a reality. But do you live it as if it is? Do you live it out of the hope that you have? Because the hope helps us have perspective. I said that this morning. What's that word? Perspectify. We're going to do that this morning. Helps us see things. And I, no doubt, I'm sure, that, that there are troubles within your life. That maybe some of you are, are looking for work and it's really hard. It's hard to pay the bills. There's financial troubles. Maybe your relationships or your marriages are not as good as you would hope them to be. And that's painful. I think that Paul's encouraging us not to, not to disregard them because they're important, but to, but to reframe them, to look differently, to gain a perspective, to understand that, that even in the worst of situations, our hope in Christ draws us on, empowers us, enables us to live, uh, you know, to face the day. And it's real and certain hope. I remember as a kid growing up for Christmas Day, you had to hope that you'd get those presents. Sometimes you got what you wanted, sometimes you didn't. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Santa Claus at times. On a list of things, I did get the G.I. Joe, so, and I did get the Lego Millennial Falcon. That was just like like 12 months ago, so I have <laughs> got, um, that's in my office if you come and visit me in Sydney. But, you know, though, Paul's not talking about a wish, something you might wish for. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about real and certain hope that makes a difference in our life, and particularly when life is hard and tough. A few years ago now, about oh no, my wife was 35. I still tell her she looks 35, uh, but she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and the doctors didn't give her any hope. It was tough. We will do what we can. Uh, the specialist we went to was—he was crying as he told us the news. This. It's three strikes, I remember clearly. It's, this is the worst kind. This is aggressive kind. Uh, it's spread, it's not contained to the breast. Uh, and it's, it's already broken out. There's not much we can do. We'll do all we can to get you two years. Um, but that's the best we can offer. And that's hard. And it was hard with a young family. Uh, a week, I remember getting back in the car... It was actually a VTSS Commodore. I love that car. It's gone now. And, uh, and praying. We threw everything we had onto Jesus, Lord, and reminded ourselves of what we had in him. Help us make each day count for you. Lord, if this is the journey you got us on, let us use this for your glory. And if the worst happens, we couldn't even bring ourselves to, to say the words. It's even hard now that we might not be together. Our hope in you is assured and that won't be taken away. In the dark days we would would take a lamp in the darkness of night and light this little lamp and remind ourselves of the light that, that we have. And sometimes it's just a flicker, but we have it. And God's promise not to snuff it out. And Paul wants us to know that hope, particularly in the dark days, that we might know what we have in Christ, that he is calling us on and to home and that won't ever be taken away, ever. Not one thing do you know the hope that you have in Christ i think this is why paul prays so we might know the hope that we have because it puts everything in perspective thirdly paul prays that we might know the riches of his glorious inheritance hope is kind of where we're headed in our future and I think what Paul is talking about, what we have and enjoy and can have now today, this very moment. As I sat with a group of pastors. I do that often. We were whiteboarding, as I, as I like to do, of all the challenges facing the churches today. We had this long list of about 20-something things. The whole board was full. Uh, and then, you know, when we do those lists, we encourage We get everyone, you get three ticks, and you get to tick which ones you think are, are the, the priorities here on this long list. And there's all sorts of things. Um... But you know what the number one response was, and, and I, I think they're right. The biggest challenge facing our churches today, in the Western world, it's consumerism. That's so what I pass. I'm fighting against this all the time. I'm sure if you really spoke to David, he would say I'm fighting against this all the time. Somehow we've got this idea that church is for my needs. That's what consumerism it is is this world tells you that, yeah, you, you are a lot when you have a lot, and you can have whatever you want. In fact, you deserve to have what you want. And they play on that. That's what the advertising is all about. But when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to following Jesus, when it becomes to join together in, as the community of faith in the body of Christ, Jesus calls us to lay down those wants and those desires and to take up the cross. If anyone would come after me, says Jesus. You must lay down your life and take up your cross daily. Uh, sorry to burst anyone's bubble, but it's, uh, it's kind of not about you. It's about what God wants to do in you and through you. I used to tell my church, I was at Lithgow for 11 years, and uh, we love that place. We still do, and all the people, and it was a real p- tough place to leave to step into this role. Um, but I would say we're here this morning. We're here to Gather, you gather, we come together. It's really for two reasons. We come to give ourselves to God and we come to give ourselves to each other. And if you go away from this place and judge it on the basis of how good the music was and whether the sermon was short or was long, whether they sang your music or not, then I think you came with the wrong attitude. And those with the wrong attitude would then write me letters and say, that's not very godly. But, you know, I think that's true. Too many churches who think that this thing is about theirs. I'm pretty sure that Jesus says that that the church is his. I will build my church. I'm pretty sure the Bible says that you were bought with a price. And that price was the death of Jesus on the cross. You are now his. And Jesus calls us to live out our life in response to that. And to get rid of this crazy idea that it's all about me and it's about what I get. No, it's really about what you can give. And it's to know and understand just how much we have in Christ. We have so much now that is ours. If we would just take hold of it. Now, when Paul writes these words, uh, Ephesus is uh, it's a grand city. It's got the uh, Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. It was massive and spectacular, spectacular. And powerful, and this is the backdrop Paul is writing against. And people would travel from all over the world to see it and bring their money. And, their, and it was, it was what we are told, a beautiful and spectacular city. But if you go to Ephesus today, it's kind of in ruins. Paul's reminding us that the things of this world will pass away. Jesus reminded us not to seek treasures on earth, didn't He? Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but seek the kingdom, store up treasures in the kingdom where moths and rusts will not destroy. And Jesus reminds us that we can, you know, we can either pursue the things of this world or we can pursue the things of the kingdom. You can't do both at the same time. You've got to let go of one in order to take hold of the other. And the more that we live out of our riches in Christ, actually, the more generous we get to be to others, the less we have to worry about whether um, you know the church sung our the right music or read from the right version of the Bible. And some churches I do do that. Oh pastor Ian, we don't use that version here. And then they get a very different message. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus said. And then everything else will be added to you. You know, one way to get more in this world is actually simply to want less. And we've been on this journey. Actually, we, our kids moved out really quickly, so we moved out so they couldn't move back in to an apartment. And, uh, and we got really convicted. We looked at all this, this um, stuff that we had and we thought we could um, make a bit of money selling all this, have a garage sale or put on eBay and just convicted and we decided to give it all away. Good stuff, new fridges, all sorts of things. And we had so many good stories and so many people we were able to bless. And it was so good. And we keep trying to live our life on less and less and less. And you can do it so well. We actually don't know a lot to live on. Especially when you're not feeding kind of kids. They cost a lot of money. Poor praise. We might know the riches that we have in Christ. And that really changes our heart and enables us to live more generously. And to come to a church to give ourselves to God and to others. Finally, Paul prays that we might know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, says Paul, is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I love that phrase, God's incomparably great power. Paul is saying that there is nothing that we can compare God to. There's no power greater than the power that's in, uh, that has been demonstrated in and through Christ Jesus. It's beyond comparison. And that same power that rose Christ from the grave is available to you. God wants to work in your life in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. In fact, Paul will go on to say that in Ephesians chapter 3, that God will do. In fact, more than we could ask or imagine. And I find so many followers of Jesus doing so little. So many churches doing it out of their own strength. And Paul is really encourages us to rely on the strength that is already available in Jesus. And Paul is not encouraging us to go off and seek new demonstrations of power. He's going just to look to the greatest demonstration that there has been in the history of this world. We're going to celebrate it at communion. We're going to celebrate it at Easter in a few weeks' time. God has risen Christ from the dead. And if he can do that, then he can do all things. Are you living out of the power that's available to you? It's the power that enabled us to face our tough journey with cancer. And we called all the church together and our elders and we prayed and we threw everything we had onto God and he did the miraculous. My wife still sees doctors. She will have to for the rest of her life. Um, And they look at her, whatever they look at, the, the notes, her journey. And there are some who are Christians who say, wow, God's done the miraculous and we know, we know he has. And then there are others who think, wow, you've been really lucky. And we've got to say, well, it's not luck, mate. This is not luck. This is the result of faith in an all-powerful God who can do more than we'd ask or imagine. So these are good things to pray. And I have this uncanny thought, this crazy idea, that if our churches are full of people who would pray these things for one another, if they would pray these, if you prayed these four things for your family and for your kids, well, and for everyone in this church, just what a revelation that would be. If churches were full of of people who prayed this for their pastor, what power would that be? If our churches were full of pastoral leaders who pray things for their people, well, we just might see revival again. So here's my challenge to you as we close, that you might be committed to praying these things for those around you. Yes, pray for yourself. And my commitment will be to pray for you, that you might know, I'm going to do that now, that you might know God better, better tomorrow than you do today. That you might know the true hope that you have in Christ, that it will not ever be taken away from you. That our future is assured. That gives us enormous freedom to live our life today and to face whatever challenges are before us. That you might know the riches that you have in Christ and that might help you know, alleviate that temptation to pursue the things of this world and that consumer mindset that's infiltrated our church, that's killing our churches. And you might operate not out of your own strength, but out of the strength... And the power of the Holy Spirit who is in you and within you. That you might know God's incomparably great power. And uh, that, that kind of deals with fear of attempting things for God. God wants to do more in your life than you could ever ask or imagine. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this church and those here with us this morning. And Lord, I want to echo Paul's prayer from yes, centuries ago. Lord, that is so relevant and needed even today. Lord, help us to be a people of faith who are on a journey whose, whose deep desire is to, is to want to know you more and but also want others around us to know you as we do. So help us to pray and be committed to praying that people around us that we know and love will come to know you more and more. Help us to be a people, Lord, who, who want to know the hope that we have in you and, Lord, remind us of that. Maybe it's a, be a reminder for some this morning. Lord, and I do pray for those who are struggling, who are in darkness, who are in uncertainty, who are stuck in fear. Lord, uh, that they might be able to just see through that and see the hope uh, that you have in store for them. Because that, that helps put things in perspective. That, our, moments are, that our, our pain and our suffering is just momentary compared to the eternity that awaits us. Lord, help us to live out of the riches, to really hold on and and seek more and more of your kingdom and less and less of this world. I'm sure others, Lord, need to join with me and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me for wanting the things of this world more than the things that you want to give to me. And Lord, maybe be people who operate out of the power, that same power that you demonstrated when you rose Christ from the dead, is available to us, wants to work in us, we can do more than we could ask or imagine. So help us not to be fearful, but attempt great things for you. So bless this church and bless its leaders. May they grow in their knowledge and their love for you. Help them to be a witness to this great community so more and more people will come to know Jesus as we do. Amen.